Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again today as we look into the Word of God. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and it's always a privilege and an honor to have an open Bible in front of me and another opportunity to expound the blessed words of this blessed old book. If ever there was a day in our crazy society that we needed a final authority, it's now. When God's authority gets ignored and rejected and kicked out of the public's conscience, uh, you have chaos and anarchy, not only in the hearts of men, but in homes, in churches, and in the streets. And we need to get back to realizing that there has got to be a place where the buck stops here. And I'm telling you that if you're going to get things settled and you're going to get your mind settled, you've got to have a final authority. Do you have one? I have one. It's laying on the table before me today. It's the old authorized version King James Bible. It's known as the Holy Bible. We've had it for over 400 years now, and uh, it's got the breath and the touch of God on it. It is the final authority. And so that's our source of authority. That's where we get the right to say the things we say. Do you realize that I say many things on this program that are considered offensive? I've been told as much by folks who occasionally tune into the program. They'll say, boy, you're, you're awful dogmatic. <laughs> uh, boy, preacher, you, uh, you are uh, aggressive. I had one man tell me that my preaching was aggressive. Uh, some people think it's narrow-minded. Some people think that it's bigoted. Some people think that it's just judgmental. Listen, these things that I preach on here, I would have no right to preach them. I would have no right to promote my own ideas and opinions so dogmatically like I do on this program unless what I'm promoting and what I'm dogmatically declaring is not my opinion but rather what God said. Because if the creator of the universe has said that this is the way it is, then my friend, this is the way it is. It's a thus saith the Lord that is the final authority on this program and really it's the final authority period. A lot of people just don't know that what God said is the final authority, but they'll find out when he has them in derision and he's laughing at them. Check it out in Psalm chapter 2. And so we live in a day and age where people have ignored God, rejected God, pushed him out of their minds as best they can, and certainly they're making a mockery of the Bible. But I still believe the Word of God, as do many, many thousands of Christians in this country. And uh, thank God for light Thank God for truth, and thank God for a final authority. So on this program, the Searching the Scriptures program, we want to search the Scriptures uh, daily, and in this case on the program weekly, uh, to see whether these things are so. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And so we always encourage you to get your Bible open so you can see what we're talking about. Now, Acts chapter 9 this week again, we're going to look at um, the response that this amazing conversion of Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, uh, what kind of responses took place when this man was converted? And we talked last week by way of review, let me remind you, that we spoke quite a bit last in last week's lesson on the supernatural aspect of salvation. Now, salvation is of the Lord. It's an act. It's a work of God. God brings it to pass in the believing sinner's heart. Uh, there is a supernatural inside change that takes place. Salvation, as we pointed out last week, is an inside job. It's an operation of God that's made without hands on the inside. It's invisible to the naked eye. But my friend, the fruit 
of that supernatural change known as the new birth will be on display for all to see when it takes place in a man's heart. And certainly, especially, you'll be able to see the change when it takes place in an adult. Uh, I reminded our church that many times young ones will get saved. They've been brought up in church under the sound of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, and they've heard the Bible and they've heard the explanation. And maybe at seven, eight, nine, ten years old, they come to a saving knowledge of Christ and they put their faith in the Son of God. They get saved. Children, by the way, get saved the same way anybody gets saved. There's no two plans of salvation, one for adults and one for children. No, it's all the same. They must come in repentance and faith. Repentance toward God because they've offended God with their sin. Uh, uh, faith toward Jesus Christ because He is the only Savior and Redeemer of men. And so children get saved and they get in the family of God and they go to heaven the same way adults do and that's by repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. But let me just say this uh, kind of as an addendum to last week's lesson. Uh, you may not see uh, the large... The, the, drastic changes in children that you see in adult sinners. When Saul of Tarsus got saved, he declared, according to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, that he was the chief of sinners. And you say, no, I think I'm the chief. No, you can't argue with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led and allowed Paul to write that. He said, I am the chief of sinners. And so when God saved Paul on the road to Damascus, he saved the chief of sinners and the change, the supernatural miracle that took place in his heart brought such drastic change in Paul's actions and in his attitudes that people could not believe it was the same man. And we're going to see some of the responses that people gave when Saul began to live that new life that he was given, that eternal life he was given through Jesus Christ began to work out of him and in his life and in his attitude and out of his heart Almost immediately. And can I tell you something that adults, listen, we need to put on display the grace of God that has worked a miracle in our hearts when we believed on Jesus Christ. Are you a Christian? Then act like it. Amen and amen. Because people are watching us. The lost world loves nothing more than to find someone who professes faith and yet lives the hypocritical uh, double life of uh, Judas Iscariot. The truth of the matter is we need to show people uh, what God has done for us. Just like in Mark chapter 5, when uh, the demoniac there of Gadara is saved, that man with all those unclean spirits, uh, Jesus Christ said, Go home and tell your friends and family what great things the Lord had done for thee. But in the Luke chapter 8 account, uh, it's recorded as saying, Not just go home and tell them, but go home and show them. Show them what God has done in you by living the new life that he has placed in your heart. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And we saw last week that immediately Paul had a new attitude toward God and toward serving Jesus Christ. The one he had once hated and the one that he was exceedingly mad against, he began to, in humble childlike humility, began to say, Lord, what will thou have me to do? What do you want me to do? That's a new attitude. Salvation will adjust your attitude. He began to pray, and now his prayers could be heard. Paul had prayed all of his life, but now he could be heard in heaven. And that's the thing. We don't just want to say prayers. I want to know that God hears me. And he only hears those that come on his terms. 
And his terms are, you must come to me through my son, Jesus Christ. So now that Paul has been saved uh, by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, he begins to pray and heaven is hearing his prayers because verse 11 of Acts 9 says, behold, he prayeth. He's got a new attitude. He's got a new prayer life. And then we saw in verse 20 that straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. He had a new message. He was no longer breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, but rather he began to preach the faith that he once destroyed and what a change that brought about. And then we saw a fourth supernatural evidence of his uh, supernatural change, his conversion in verse 26, because when Saul made it up to Jerusalem three years after his conversion, the first thing he wanted to do, he was with, by the way, the disciples in Damascus. But when he got to Jerusalem, you know what he did? He began to hunt up other Christians because the Bible says that he essayed to join himself to the disciples. And so we see that Paul, the people he once persecuted and hated and hailed them and took them to jail. He is now wanting to fellowship with them, uh, converse with them, uh, talk with them, rejoice with them. And I'm telling you, these are just signs of the supernatural change that salvation brings. But this week, I want to look at some things back up in your Bible to verse 19. This is Saul of Tarsus after he has been saved. Uh, he's been baptized at the hands of Ananias. Uh, of course, Galatians 1 tells us that he went into Arabia. We know that he spent time with Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus gave him specific details and revelations and mysteries and abundance of revelations. We find out that Paul was given. And uh, he hung around in Damascus for three years uh, with the disciples that were there. And the Bible says in verse 19, when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But now watch the response that Paul gets to this change that Jesus Christ has wrought in his heart and life. Verse 21 says, But all that heard him were amazed. Yes, they were amazed at the change. They were amazed, not just at Paul's actions and his new heart and his new tongue and his new attitude, but they're amazed ultimately at God's miracle. And you know, we ought to live lives that amaze people. The folks we used to run with ought to look and say, I'm amazed at the change that God has wrought in that man. The Bible says the first response was that the Jews that heard him, all that heard him, were amazed. Why were they amazed? I'm going to tell you something. It's an amazing thing to watch God work in a man's life. As we pointed out in last week's lesson from Philippians chapter 1, we are told that we're, Paul was confident. He was speaking of Christians there at Philippi. He said, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. So we talked about how God is working in every believer. He began a good work in you, and he will continue this work until you're made uh in the express image of Jesus Christ, you'll be conformed to the perfect image of the sinless Son of God. That's the work that's being performed in you, Christian friend. And you know something? It says that God is the one that began the work. And then Paul said this in Philippians 1.6. He said that God who began this good work will, quote, perform, perform it. Do you know what you actually see in a Christian 
you get to see God performing. And it's an amazing thing to watch God perform. Now, let me give you some illustrations. You know, I've seen some people who I thought were talented musicians, and I got to watch them perform. I remember the first time, for you bluegrassers that listen in, you'll understand here. Let's go back a few years. Uh, It's been 25 years ago or better. It was the first time that I actually got to see my favorite acoustic guitarist, uh, guitarist perform in in person and that was tony rice i saw him up in columbus ohio at frontier ranch i paid uh, 30 bucks to get into the the uh uh that bluegrass festival up there at the time and i sat on the front row why because i wanted to watch this master musician perform and i paid money for it and he did an unbelievable performance i was right there underneath there i could hear the, the the i could smell the dust out of that guitar that old acoustic guitar i could hear it the cracking and creaking of the leather of his uh, uh guitar strap and above all i could hear that sweet fat tone of his coming out of that old 1935 d28 it was a great day i can still remember it i was looking forward to it i couldn't wait to see tony rice perform and i paid to do it some of you will Go to see athletes perform. Some people want to go see LeBron James perform. Uh, some want to go see Baker Mayfield. And uh, as long as these people are disrespecting our flag, I'm not going to spend a dime to go watch them perform. But that's beside the point. That's another message. And I already made some of you mad. Too bad. But the truth of the matter is, <laughs> a lot of people pay money, big money, to go watch these great athletes perform. What do they do? They play a ball game really well. And they have a peak era there for about, you know, five to ten years, depending on the sport, where they're at the top of their game. Some people paid big money to go watch Michael Jordan play back in his day when he was uh, uh, the number one basketball player with the Chicago Bulls. And, and on and on it could go about athletes. Some uh, paid money back in the day to see Frank Sinatra or Elvis Presley. We went to see these people or you went to see these people perform, whether they were singers or athletes or musicians. And people pay big money to watch their favorite artists perform. But you know something? All of that they're doing, everything they're doing, whether it's uh, playing an instrument, whether it's singing, whether it's athleticism, all of those things are temporal. And probably at the end of the day, uh, you know, it really didn't change your life that much. But you know what's amazing And people don't realize is if you'll go down to the local church and you'll start hanging around a Bible-believing church, you know what you'll get to see? You'll get to see God perform. And you know what's even better? He doesn't charge a dime. It's absolutely free to watch God work. And I'm telling you, friend, it's an amazing thing when he saves sinners and changes them. Oh, listen, we could go over all kinds right here. They were amazed at the change that was wrought in Saul of Tarsus when he became Paul, the apostle, a saved Pharisee. Listen, these people were amazed. Why? Because they were getting to watch God perform the miracle of the new birth and the new life that he gives to sinners when he raises them up to walk in newness of life. What a thing. Have you seen anybody saved in your local church through the years? Maybe some great sinner that people prayed for and they saw him saved and saw their life changed, saw marriages put back together, saw drunks made sober, saw blaspheming, cursing men given a clean mouth 
and a, and a sanctified tongue. Maybe you saw a man uh, bitter with anger that was a fist fighter, a brawler at the local bar, and now he's just as gentle as he can be. Why? Because you're watching God perform his miracle of salvation inside a person. Amen and amen. Uh, listen, I could tell you stories about uh, different men that I've met and know. I know of one. His name's Earl Ankrum. Uh, just an old Satanist uh, that was drinking and doping himself to death and living the life of an outlaw blaspheming rebel. I mean, he was involved in Satanism to the degree that back in the late 80s and the early, early 1990s, he was even involved in uh, services in Satan's church where they drank blood and he was a part of some wicked, wicked things. And one day, amen, God reached down and rattled his cage and dented his fender and that young man began to ask and look for God. He, In his testimony, he's told it before, how that uh, he had a store there up in Ohio near Akron and uh, he went in the back of that store, closed it up on New Year's Eve 1991, pulled out a, a 38 special and stuck it in his mouth and was fixing to end it all. And the thought crossed his mind and thank God that this thought flashed through his mind if there is a hell you're going there and you never have tried to find out if there is a god he was a professing atheist so he took the gun out of his mouth and he said i'm going to go to church on sunday but friend when god saw that he sent a man before he ever got to church to give him the gospel he told a man there in a grocery store that he was going to go try to find God is what he said. And that man said, you don't have to go to church to find God. And he showed him from the New Testament how Christ had died, been buried and risen again. And that man fell to his knees there in that grocery store. And he said, when I stood up, he said, the burden was gone after he called on the Lord. And that man since 1992, old brother Earl Ankrum has been preaching the gospel all across this country, helping struggling churches, preaching on street corners. Amen. And has led many of his old dope headed cohorts to Jesus Christ. Why? Because his life changed. He told me one time that there was a knock came at the door one time in an apartment that he lived in up in Ohio. It was one of his old dope buddies it was three o'clock in the morning and with tears streaming down his face he says earl whatever it is that happened to you do you think god would do that for me you say what is that that's the amazing power of god that you get to see perform his miracle in men's lives and hearts amen there's a man uh, that we've often heard uh, talked about in these old documentaries about serial killers his name was david berkowitz and in the 1970s he let loose on a, a a reign of terror up in New York City and became known as the infamous Son of Sam, took the lives of, I believe, six or seven people that summer, wounded and paralyzed uh, six or seven others, and I think 13 victims in all over the course of 12 months. Just a wicked, demonic kind of a character. But 10 years into his prison sentence, 1987, a man kept telling him of the marvelous grace of God. And over the course of weeks and months out there on the yard, this old Christian boy named Rick kept telling him about Jesus Christ and what he would do for him. And left him with a, a New Testament and Psalms. And as David Berkowitz lay in his bunk one night, he began to read the Psalms. And after five nights of reading a few Psalms each night and God tilling up the ground of his heart, he came to Psalm 34 verse 6 that says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his trouble. And with that, the conviction broke upon his heart. He turned his light off, and he crawled out of that bunk, laid down on the cold concrete floor of his cell, and began to pour out his heart before God. 
and said, I'm tired of being evil and full of darkness. Take this darkness out of me and replace it with yourself. And my friend, when David Berkowitz stood to his feet, his sins had been washed away. The wickedness and vileness that he had performed uh, through his life had been cleansed in the sight of God. He was justified by the grace of God. And he said in his own testimony that he slept through the night for the first time in 10 years of being in maximum security prison. You say, what happened to him? Well, he's still serving his prison sentences and he'll stay behind bars until the day that he leaves this world. But nevertheless, for the last 33 years, David Berkowitz has walked with the Lord Jesus Christ and he has amazed people at the power of God. You say, what is that? Well, i tell you what it is. It's God performing. You say, what is salvation? It's the performance. It's the miracle of God. It's getting to watch God raise up new men in place of the old ones. It's getting to see God perform, and he does it all for free. And just like in Saul's day, they were amazed when they saw the change. Look back in verse 21 with me. It says, they asked this question, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? In other words, is this the same man? The answer is, it's the same, it's the same body that the man was in, but the old man is dead. And amen, a new man has been raised to walk in his place. That's what Christianity is. It's an entirely new creature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Look over with me. Not only were they amazed, but look at the result of their amazement. Look at Galatians chapter 1 as Paul gives the testimony of what happened to him. Notice in Galatians chapter 1 as Paul recounts some of more details of what took place in Acts chapter 9. That's, by the way, a great way to study this book. Always compare Scripture with Scripture. Sometimes you don't get all of the information in one chapter. We read a lot of information in Acts chapter 9 about the conversion of Saul and what took place afterwards. But when you really read in Galatians chapter 1, Paul fills in some more blanks for us, and he gives us some more details about his conversion. Notice what he says. In verse 13, the Apostle Paul speaking here, I'm in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Yes, Paul, we know. And he says, I profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, watch this, who separated me from my mother's womb, that's first birth. Listen, even your first birth is a miracle. <laughs> he said, God separated me from my mother's womb, first birth. But then he says, and called me by his grace, second birth, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Remember, Christ takes up residence in us. And he takes up residence in us because he wants to reveal himself out from us, through us. And so he goes on and he tells you some of the places he went and where he spent time. He returned and again in Damascus. He was there for three years. And he comes down to verse 21. He says, afterwards, look at it, Galatians 1, 21. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ but they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. Now we saw in Acts 9 
that the people there in Damascus that heard him in the synagogues were amazed. But look what else it produced. Not only were they amazed at the change. I mean, think about it. The one who once persecuted the church was now propagating the church and preaching the faith he once destroyed. And what did they do? Verse 24, Paul says, and they glorified God in me. Can I say something right here that needs to be said? Salvation is not just about you getting out of hell or me getting out of hell. Thank God for that. I'm glad that I am no longer condemned and cursed by the law of God that I have broken repeatedly. No, I've been made accepted in the beloved. I've been made righteous in Christ Jesus. And there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. None. I'm not going to hell and I praise God about that. But you know what? Many times we get caught up on that one aspect of the result of our salvation and we miss the main thing. You know what the main thing is? Is that God is glorified and gets glory. He is going to get the glory and nobody is going to steal that glory. When the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. What's it say next? Lest any man should boast. You're not going to boast and glory in what you did to get to heaven because what you do is counted as dung and it is said to be nothing. Your righteousnesses and mine are nothing more than filthy rags. And no man is going to get to heaven and start bragging about who he was and what he's done and what church he was a part of. No, all attention will be on the Lamb of God, which took away our sins by an act that he performed in time on the cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem when he suffered and was made sin for us and bore our sins in his own body on the tree and suffered and paid the debt that day through excruciating agony and through suffering unbelievable For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. And then he was taken down and buried. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And he kicked the doors of mercy wide open. And he invites sinners of all stripes and shades, uh, all manner of sinful men, to come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he gives us rest. And he gives us eternal life. And he gives us all of these blessings in salvation, but salvation is designed to place us and put us in a position again where we can bring glory and honor to the name of God. And listen, the change that is brought about when we yield ourselves up to our Lord and Savior after we've trusted Him is supposed to put the grace of God on such display that people are, number one, amazed at the change, and number two, they glorify God in us because that change is so uh, amazing. Listen, Paul was being used to glorify God. And that's what salvation is all about, to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And certainly people were amazed and people glorified God. And you know what's sad? There were some that heard Paul back in Acts chapter 9, and we'll close it right here today. There were some that heard this man preach and saw the change. They saw that he increased the more in strength, the Bible says in verse 22. And here's another response. They were confounded. He confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus. How did he confound them? Because he proved that this is very Christ. How did he prove that Jesus Christ was the Son of God 
and the promised one from the Old Testament. He proved it by reasoning with them from the scriptures. And you know what these men did? They were confounded. In other words, what's that mean? They were put to silence and put to shame by Paul's arguments. They could not argue against the word of God. And because they could not argue against the word of God, rather than embrace it as truth and admit, hey, I was wrong. I repent of my unbelief. I repent of my previous position. And I take Christ as my savior. They didn't do that. Instead, they got angry and they simply wanted to kill the messenger. And if you'll read on down through Acts chapter 9, they watched the gate and they were, they were lying in wait to kill Saul of Tarsus, not because he had done anything wrong, but because he was now able to take their own scriptures and prove that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. Let me ask you a question. When someone proves something to you from the Bible, how do you respond? Oh, listen to me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't fight against that. Just embrace it. Christ died for you, sinner friend. He was buried and he rose from the dead according to this Bible. And if you by faith will cast yourself upon him and look to him and believe upon him and receive him as your Lord and Savior, he will save you. Don't be confounded by that simple truth, but rather believe it, embrace it. And along with the Apostle Paul and millions of others, why not pass from death unto life? May God help you to see it and believe it. Until next week, may the Lord bless you.